Hey everyone, you're tuned into InfoQuench with Jeff and Amy. Join us as we talk about anything and everything. All the stuff that makes life interesting. So let's get to it. Hey everybody and welcome to InfoQuench. I'm your host Jeff. And I'm Amy. And this is part three of our conversation centered around the book Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel. Yes. Still having to look at the cover, weren't you, on that third I don't want to get it wrong. You know, (laughs) I do not want to get it wrong. I I have to say that, um, you know, this has been a popular, this has been a popular series of uh, podcasts, these these three. It has. It had some great feedback on it. I think people are finding it interesting. I was curious whether or not it would resonate with everyone or, or with a good group of our listeners because... Not everybody's in the same place in their life, and I think we yeah. all contemplate life and the meaning of life and purpose. This is kind of a book, though. You could read at any point in your life and get something from it, even though I have not read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable. It's a 100-page book. But, man, life has been crazy lately. It's busy. It's been very busy. Yes, we know? just actually took an amazing trip to St. Andrews yeah. in beautiful New Brunswick, which is uh, the province we live in. We broadcast out of St. John, New Brunswick, and St. Andrews is only about an hour from us. And we had a lot of talk around ghosts. That's right. During our in, trip. El- in the Algonquin, we stayed at the uh, the resort. Algonquin Resort, yeah. and which is known to be one of the most haunted places, not only in New Brunswick but, but in all, all of Canada. Canada. Yeah, I ah. wanted to say at the same time. Like it's, a ghost just inhabited us there. We should tell her story about going to that room. Because uh, there's a story, Amy re- looked it up on Wikipedia, I think, and there's a story about a woman who, his her husband was at sea, is that correct, or something like yes. that? Yes, so, so when you go to the Algonquin, you can actually go out and get a, a ghost tour, which we didn't pay to do because we're cheap that way. No, yeah. <laughs> no. the reason we didn't do it actually was because we had our son Huxley with us and he's only seven and we thought it might be a little freaky for him to, yeah. to hear ghost stories. But if you are staying there, you can get a, you know, a tour where they walk you through the history of the place. And I mean, it's a, it's, it does have a lot of history. And because yeah. of that, I think any building of that age is going to have some tragedy in its past or, you oh know. yeah, I mean, you, not, it can't be all cheery. The and whole time. So some of the, you know. Some bad things are going to happen. The entire structure actually burnt down early, uh, I guess, early on in its history and then was rebuilt. And uh, before it burnt down, one of the uh, tragic stories that happened was there was a young boy who chased his red ball out of three-story window and, and fell to his death. So that's yeah. one of the ghosts that's said to haunt With the, the resort. With the ball? Yeah, there's there, actually if you Google it online, you can find some images that yeah. they are said to show the little boy holding his ball. No way. Yeah, I guess right. I never really looked at that either, did I? And I don't think well, you neither you nor I are, are we're not really believers in ghosts, but well, I no. I find history of anything interesting, and mm-hmm. we were explaining to our son, you know, that sometimes people just like the idea of being afraid. Being which scared, is why, yeah. That's why there's scary movies and stuff, right? Right. I mean, that's what Halloween's all about. And uh, I'm sure it's about more things than that, but... Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe yeah. we'll do an episode on the history of Halloween, but... Well, that's what, uh, that's, what, that's what I was wondering. Like, maybe we should do some more uh, podcasts based on books that we've read or movies that we've watched. Or books ma- that and, you haven't read. And stretch them right out. Yeah, or movies I haven't watched. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> 
could do that. Uh, I, I do plan to, to read it. Just but. to kind of circle back to the Algonquin, because you touched oh, yeah. on the, the second, uh, the second, second ghost story. main tragedy, I guess it's really discussed about that. Was a, it, was a, it reminds me of Romeo and Juliet, because it's a bride who stayed there uh, the night, the eve of her wedding. And I guess on the wedding day... Uh, I may not be getting this 100% correct, but the gist of it is that her groom didn't show up because he was uh, caught out at sea. Yeah. So he had a delay in arriving. But she she thought that she was being just left at the altar. Yeah. And apparently she uh, died in her suite uh, and yeah. it was thought that she committed suicide. So that's in room 473 at the Algonquin. Yeah. And so we... We went looking for We actually for went, we, we, we went and took a little, we had our, had our lunch on the patio and uh, a beautiful sunny day. And then we took a little stroll through the hotel, like a bunch of creepsters and uh, <laughs> walked by room 473. But the thing is, is that 473, where it should originally be, is now just like a room for the Well, it was strange. Uh, the first, first hallway we went down, it cleaners. was, it looked like it would, where we thought it would be because it fell before 475 on that yeah. side was housekeeping suite. Housekeeping but then we went suite. down another wing and then we saw a room marked as 473. So we wondered whether the original one was actually redesignated and then they, and they just switched the numbers around. But my, one of my coworkers actually stayed in room 473. 473. Really? Yes. And, and so I will keep her have, identity. Did a she secret. have an experience? She didn't. She said it was fine. She yeah. said her husband thought it was a little, a little, scru- little he, creepy. He, he got creepy vibes. Yeah. Creepy vibes. So that's really interesting. Did I she, don't think any of us did. I think. Does she specifically no. want to stay in that room? Like because I think of the so, story? Yeah. Okay. I think no. I, I think they did. I think that's they they did the tour, and I think they were they were just curious and they wanted to stay in that room. But uh, I. Yeah, and I don't think any of us really get the vibes, but we were just more, it's that morbid curiosity of just going by the room to see if, yeah, see where it was. It looked no different than any other room. Uh, But another thing that we did was to go to Minister's Island. Yeah, Minister's Island was amazing. Which is really cool. I mean, the tide comes down, so there's only a short time where you can drive to the island. There isn't a bridge or a ferry or anything, but once the tide recedes, you've got that you know, four or five hour window where you can drive across a sandbar and uh, go and visit the island and then learn the entire history and it Mm -hmm. what a history it has. So if you're local to St. John New Brunswick or if you're ever visiting our beautiful area, I highly encourage you to visit Minister's Island or uh, St. Andrews in general and, and the Algonquin is an amazing facility. The main character of Minister's Island was Van uh, Thor- William, Van Horn. Vil- William Van Horn. William Van Horn. Who was the president it. of uh, the yeah. Canadian Pacific Railway. Yeah, and he what what a uh, Renaissance man he was. Oh, he only slept three to four hours a night. I know. He was a painter. He was a sculptor. He was a gardener. He was like he was honestly, a mayor of his hometown yeah. in, in Illinois. He was a farmer. He was. <laughs> it was just insane. It goes on and on. <laughs> one yeah, of that's the, a funny thing. He's not even Canadian, but like he's celebrated as if he was one over on Minister's Island. Well, yeah, so one of the stories is that he had this incredible barn and he had, uh, you know, it was basically a fully sustained, uh, self-sustaining island with everything. dairy farmers, Cheese, his, his vegetables, everything he, he, he needed was there. Yeah. But one day he'd gone down to the barn and the workers inside the barn were waving at him as he approached. And then he had them immediately rebuild the barn, adjust it to raise the windows so that they... 
couldn't wave at him through the windows. I find that a really strange uh, thing to put in a tour about somebody they're supposed to be celebrating. I know. You know what I mean? It was an interesting little introduction. It makes him just sound like a complete jerk. How dare you wave at me? We're going to just raise all those those windows. Move those windows. Move those windows right now. No views for you. I know. But I guess he. They said that he also treated his staff quite well. But yeah, they did say that. that That's right. They did, he just didn't want. Maybe he had something against waving. Yeah. <laughs> Enough about that. And yeah. back to. Wow. Oh well, yeah, some book we're supposed to be talking about here. Man's search for meaning. Yeah. I wanted to talk a. Uh, you know, as we sort of wrap up the discussion around this, there's a few more quotes, passages from the book that I wanted to read. That, I, for whatever reason, may they're the ones that make you go. Hmm. Not yeah. aha, but just really make you contemplate things in general. Okay. So during the, you know, the I mentioned the logotherapy section of the book. So the book was divided into two sections. One was yeah. Victor Frankl's experience in the concentration camp, and then the the uh, latter half was around logotherapy, which is uh, logo being the Greek word for meaning. So he introduced a form of therapy that would help patients through the use of uh, finding meaning in their lives. Yeah. And he would have a lot of discussions with groups of patients. But one of the questions he posed to them was, if, if they felt an ape, which was being used, and I will uh, paraphrase a little bit here. Oh, yeah, okay. But basically being used to d- develop a, a treatment for polio. And so that ape has to be stuck with a needle day after day in mm-hmm. order to develop this serum. So he asked the group, do you think that that ape could ever grasp the meaning behind its suffering? Could that ape ever understand that being pricked by the needle that was causing him pain or her pain, mm-hmm. um, that they could ever understand the, the meaning behind it, the greater meaning of treating polio? as uh, the reasoning for their suffering. Mm-hmm. And what do you think, think so. what do you think the group no, said? I don't think that. Yeah, absolutely. Unanimously, the group replied that, of course, you know, it, it would not. With its limited intelligence, it could not enter into the world of man. Yeah. Um, uh, in other words, the only world in which the meaning of its suffering would be understandable. So saying of all, when you look at the animal kingdom, really man is the only, you know, being capable of understanding what the meaning of the could higher be. intelligence exactly uh, behind suffering the, the ape would just think that the you know that mankind was just being a jerk <laughs> really well you just well, keep yeah. hitting me with i this. mean that would be in your instinct yeah you know, like, why are you doing basic this instinct right i don't even know if they not would the sharon think stone that. basic instinct they would just think That's oh for it's happening an x-rated again. version of our oh. podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but yeah no you're right they wouldn't they wouldn't understand what it is so he pushed them further beyond that, and he said, hey, and what about man? So if, that, if you believe that of the ape, are you sure that the human world is a terminal point in the evolution of the cosmos? Mm. Is it not conceivable that there is still another dimension, a world beyond man's world, a world in which the question of an ultimate meaning of human suffering would find an answer? Oh, yeah. So I found that... That is a hmm thing. Very fascinating, right? Because he he gets behind the idea that we can, you know, through contemplation, we can start to see meaning behind our suffering. And that can, yeah. in a way, alleviate suffering once it begins to find meaning. 
if we have purpose and meaning in our life, it helps uh, alleviate suffering. And we often talk about suffering, whether we're looking, you know, I've done a lot of reading around Buddhism, either as a philosophy or as a religion, but mm-hmm. or just the overall, uh, you know, the idea of the end of suffering and, and how that's what mankind, humans s- strive for is that end of suffering. Yeah. And we do strive for finding some meaning in it. But what I found, what I took from that passage was that it's, you know, the idea that we're not at the end of our evolution. And I think oftentimes... We're definitely not, I don't think. There's many more things uh, in store for mankind in the future, I do believe. uh, Things that we won't be around to uh, experience. You know, but that doesn't mean that we can't sort of, you know, look into the future and say that it could happen. You know what I mean? Well, I think if you, I this, you know, it just made me contemplate how far we've come from the ape. Yeah. And, and just the mindset of it, and they're thinking, how could an ape ever contemplate that? Yet we can. Yeah. And there's also a certain arrogance I think that we have that we are the end point that we're we've already attained the ultimate in terms of you know, uh, higher level thinking. Yeah. But what Frankel really proposes is that if if we've evolved that far, then who are we to say that we're at the end of this evolution and, and who's to say what goes beyond that? What will be, Yeah. what, what it will be, who knows, but you're, you're right. Like, I think we will become a little bit more, uh, developed as a, you know, as mammals, you know, and a little bit more, intelligent maybe maybe we'll regress who knows who knows who knows what's going to happen well i i think i'm trying to think of a term if you thought you know you have apes and then you have humans and then i don't know so say you have these maybe we're like ghosts (laughs) (laughs) it all goes back back to saint andrews we're just entities in the future and and frankel has the same discussion with a group of entities (laughs) you know uh two thousand years from now or five thousand years from now or I don't know, however long it may take to get to that next Maybe point. the next stage is we turn into aliens. And they sit around and they say, can yeah. you, do you can think you? that humans could ever grasp the, you know, the, the thing the is, fact though, where does that, that end? Where does that end? Where, where do you, where do you stop saying, okay, this is, this is the end? This well, is, the this sun's going to burn out. So there's that. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. So if the sun burns out <laughs> and there's no atmosphere to breathe, we're all done. We're all cooked. But if we're all some sort of vaporous... Vaporous, vaporous, you say potato, I say potato, spirits or something of that nature. If yeah. that's our next step in our evolution. Then we would be ghosts at St. Andrews, in St. <laughs> Andrews. You know? You know, who know who knows what that looks like or if you look at reincarnation. Maybe we don't need a sun to sustain our our existence. Yeah. I'm glad that other people think about it and try to figure it out because it's really too it's too much for my brain. I can't you know, I can't figure out what's going to happen with the evolutionary, you know, trajectory of mankind for the future. You must put evil into evolution. Evil. Evolutionary. Evolutionary. Well, are you the type of person that looks into the sky and gazes at the stars and is in wonder or, or does it cause almost fear? Like I know some people it's almost uncomfortable because of the magnitude of it and the endlessness of it and not having that you know that well i'm the kind of guy that and ending stares up at the stars and plays connect the dots 
looking know? for that Big Dipper. Yeah, I'm looking for that Big Dipper. I'm looking for I'm looking for all those things. Uh, that's the only one I actually really know. So that's how ignorant I am. At least I can say it. You know, I don't. I can I can admire the stars just like everybody else. But I don't need to really understand. But do you contemplate, you know, what is out there and the, you know, the extent of our universe and... To a degree. You know, and what's degree. beyond that. Uh, to a degree, but I think more my perspective, my philosophy is just living in the now and not really, uh, not really contemplating those kinds of things too much, you know. I have enough on my plate on this earth <laughs> <laughs> you know well i mean we have people if, if people didn't look up to the sky and contemplate we would never know you know that the earth was round well sorry flat earthers i know well there are <laughs> spoiler alert entire civilizations that lived by the charts of the stars you know well absolutely or you know just un- realizing eventually that we ac- actually it's not everything rotating around yeah. the earth but that we, you know, we are part of a solar system. All yeah. of that is through, you know, the ages, people staring to the sky and, and contemplating that. And, and People uh, have been uh, paying attention to what's happening in the sky since the sky, since, since they've been around the sky. Like there's, there's uh, Halley's Comet has been charted, you know, I forget how often it shows up, but every time it does, it's like going back in history. It's like in illustrations and stuff like it. They've paid, they know it's coming somehow. You know, it's amazing. Well, and I think there are some that are better at paying attention to the sky than others. I think mm. that they're often, it, I find it's usually when we're on vacation that I, I remember to look up. Oh, yeah. Which, I know because we don't. It's sad we, to me sometimes. We live in, we we live get in so, an urban atmosphere which drowns out the stars, really. Well, that's right. I mean, light you have ambient lights, so the it, it's hard to see the stars. But even looking up at the sky, you know the the day daylight yeah. sky and looking at the clouds and i think having children yeah like having our son reminds us to look at the clouds and what do you see in the clouds yeah and uh and when when we're out away from the you know the urban atmosphere and we can see the stars it's you know taking the time to look up yeah at that because it it you know it really does put things in perspective there's actually an entire type of therapy around stargazing okay where that when people sense. do become too caught up in their day-to-day lives and the minutia of, you know, what's happening directly in front of them, that if they take the time and they spend time contemplating the night sky and just yeah. the sheer magnitude of the universe, that that can be a very relaxing thing for them. But for others, it can cause anxiety because well, of the you... magnitude and the unknown well that's the thing like i think that it can cause somebody anxiety when they have that feeling of insignificance like we you've heard this the we're all dust in the wind you know what i mean right like we are all the little specks of dust and are so insignificant in the grand scheme of the whole planet and the whole universe and stuff it's like we're we're really nothing we're just like finite being i'm not trying to be morose or depressing here but we are all finite beings that will just like pass on you know what i mean and be nothing we well, are we're like a spark in the earth or in the world you know if you take it from a scientific perspective i've always sought comfort in the idea that energy is neither created nor destroyed yeah and that's a good if you way to think put it. that's a buddhist mentality isn't isn't it well Maybe? well i mean that's a that's a scientific okay. principle but it you know it's uh the idea that 
and, and, and I don't know all the details of yeah. there may be some religions that sort of pull that into it as well. Right. But yeah. just the idea that hum, the human life or the energy of human life goes on in some form, mm-hmm. you know, even with the death of the body, you know, whether you believe in, in reincarnation to... or you believe in some other form. Yeah. Uh, but that that energy is still there and that it is, you know. It's hard to equate what exactly happens because, like I've said this before, but no one has reported back. No one has come back and said, yeah, this is what it's like. This is what happens. This is because, I mean, really, I mean, the only way of knowing is passing on. You know what I mean? Well, yes. And so it's hard to like, it's hard to really uh, put your finger down on what happens. You know, so I, I find that a lot of, you know, it, a lot of it is just speculation. A lot of it is just like, this could happen or this is, you know this is what happens in this religion. This is what happened in this religion. Like everybody has a kind of a different story. So it's hard to kind of put it all together to have like a concrete conception of what happens. But isn't it about, I guess, almost trying to find your own personal story. The one that makes sense for you. Yeah. That can give you comfort. And I think that's what led me to this book and and I, you know, I started out in part one saying that our son asking a lot of questions around, you know, death and what happens, you know, yeah. after and the concepts of heaven and hell, which are depicted, you know, a lot of times in, in the in cartoons that he's watching. Or, oh, I know. He's learning know. a lot from watching. Yeah. I mean, YouTube religion, various and, religions and concepts of yeah. religion permeate every our everyday life in all aspects. So it's lead children to ask those types of questions and. I think that oh. uh, whoops, ooh, you've got that mail. <laughs> you've got mail. So I think having that, you know, that own personal story in your own mind, and hopefully it's a positive one of what happens at the point of death, is you know something that you can you can create that causes comfort, something that you can believe absolutely. That, you know whether yeah whether you see you know whether that comes that. from religion and in terms of faith. In, uh, However, you get your solitude is warranted, right? Which whatever whatever it is, you know. So that I guess I'm just a skeptic more than anything else. That's all about about it all. Like I don't know what to believe, so I don't hardly believe anything. But you don't fear death. Not really. No, because so... it's inevitable. That's why, because we all die. You know what I mean? Like we all pass on, so. You know why be afraid of it? That's the. I mean, that's always been my philosophy for some reason. I I didn't even get that from anywhere. It's just always the way I've been. I've felt since the day I was, under, you know, old enough to understand. Maybe you're the next step in evolution. Maybe I need to ev- evolve to a Jeff. Maybe. Maybe I don't it's know. Ape Amy, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that was what that sound was earlier bling that was me going to the next evolutionary stage <laughs> level up level up bling. i i think that just having that conversation shows you how this book can be well how it was powerful for me because just reading that one passage around the ape that book and, has been pivotal for you in your consciousness and the, well, just the idea of thinking of that, of not thinking of humans as being at the end of evolution, yeah. uh, you know, that all came from that reading that one paragraph in the book. So I, I do want to talk about one other one, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. as we're sort of wrapping up the discussion, because I had talked about the idea that a lot of times we fear growing old. 
Yeah. And which uh, goes back to that conversation we had a while back about that little girl who, who her father took a picture of her and, and, and it made you feel bad and it made me seem like it yeah it's just a recap like he took like a, a yeah. short video of her at uh almost like every year of her life and or then a photograph put it, more, a more photo, than that. Yeah. photograph okay and 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 put it together so you yeah. could see her morph over 30 or 40 years yeah. of her life and initially i felt that to be depressing just because i thought moments are fleeting and then lost forever mm. but then i i really enjoyed this passage in the book where victor frankel talks a little bit about that so he talks about as soon as we have used an opportunity and have actualized a potential meaning in our life, we have done so once and for all. We have rescued it into the past. I found that really interesting because you hmm. can usually rescue from something. But he says, we have rescued it into the past wherein it has been safely de- delivered and deposited. Hmm. So... In the past, nothing is irretrievably lost, but rather, on the contrary, everything is irrevocably stored and treasured. To be sure, people tend to see only the stubble fields of transitoriness, but overlook the for- and forget the full granaries of the past into which they have brought the harvest of their lives, the deeds done, the loves loved, and last but not least, the sufferings they have gone through with courage and dignity. Mm-hmm. So he goes on to say that from this, one may see that there is no reason to pity old people. Instead, young people should envy them. It is true that the old have no opportunities, no possibilities in the future, but they have more than that. Instead of possibilities in the future, they have realities in the past, the potentialities they have actualized, the meanings they have fulfilled, the values they have realized, and nothing and nobody can ever remove these assets from the past. Mm-hmm. So I love the idea of the fact that as we get older, they're not these fleeting moments that no. we've lost. You know, when we're talking about our, our children growing up, and that we're, they're only little for so long, and we're going to, we're going to lose that forever. But they're they're assets they were gathering. Mm-hmm. They are little bits of meaning, and that yeah, we shouldn't always just be striving for what's of the future. We have to realize that we've already accomplished so much at any given point in our life, and that has been crystallized. Yeah. It's exactly. I've always found that it's like uh, there's so much uh, energy given on like worrying sometimes about time passing. And in so doing, you sort of lose grasp. You use, you lose that uh, grasp of uh, the present and, and you're not enjoying it as much because you're so much so worried about losing it. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. Yes. I think that's a really important important thing to do is to live in the now because it's kind of all we have i mean we have our memories we have like the memories of things that happened in the past and we can anticipate what's going to happen in the future but really all we have is the now and in order to shape both our past and our future well and so, I've, I've heard it often said that when we live in the past it can lead to depression mm-hmm. and when we live in the future it can lead to anxiety yeah but if we want, if we live in the present, it'll lead to happiness. Yeah. And so it's exactly as you said, it's that like, idea of living like for in example, the moment. we just got back from St. Andrews. Like I have those memories in my head now, like of all the things that we did, you know, and, and it's just like a, you know, it's like snapshots of like everything that's happened. 
But it really meant the most to me when it actually happened. But I still can remember it. And I can still look forward to doing it again. Do you know what I mean? So it's positive in all directions, for, if you look at it in that perspective. For me, anyway. Yes, yeah. and and the and I like taking pictures because yeah. <laughs> pictures make those the crystallize those memories even further. Yeah. You know, people I think often are critical of themselves for whipping out their phone and trying to capture a moment, but why not be able to capture that moment and then yeah. and you know relive it later on and have those discussions and go back on yeah on, exactly on the power of those moments and memories yeah. as a family. But not all. It's funny because not all memories can be positive. Like you can look back at a, at a trip you took and something really horrible happened or whatever, but you can still you can still like in the present think back to the future and learn something positive from it. Did you say think back to the future? Yeah, think back to the future. I did say that. Oh wow! Wow, Michael J. Fox. Like I know. That's so funny. <laughs> one little last passage from the book I wanted to read, just because it was one of the ones that just made me smile. I talked about my experiences at Bible camp in part one, I think it was. And uh, Viktor Frankl is, I think, a, a very religious man, but he mm-hmm. doesn't go, there's not a real, a really strong religious theme with the book. So, right. But he does talk quickly about his daughter asking him a question when she was six. She said, why do we speak of the good Lord? Whereupon I, and he says to her, some weeks ago you were suffering from measles and then the good Lord sent you full recovery. But he said his daughter wasn't content and she retorted, well, but please, daddy, do not forget in the first place he had sent me the measles. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> so he does have a, yeah. I, I find he just has a way about seeing things from all angles. Mm-hmm. And I think that just speaks to the nature of the book. So if you haven't read it, uh, you know, we, we did haven't. go over the, <laughs> as Jeff hasn't, I mean, we uh, parts one, two, and three, we do go over the, the highlights, but there really is so much more to be taken from uh, Man's Search for, for Meaning, and I hope that you enjoyed yeah. our discussion and our we many tangents around it, and uh, it went deep, a lot it of philosophy deep. in this one. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can catch up on past episodes at infoquench.com. Or just about anywhere else you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And help spread the word about InfoQuench. Till Til next, next time. time.